0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian. I'm the literary editor of the Weekly Standard here in Washington, and this is my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we are looking at the September 21st, 2015 issue, which uh, leads off, as we say in baseball, with a um, review of two books, um, the review is by Michael Nelson. The two books are The Grind, Inside Baseball's Endless Season by Barry Severliga and The Game, Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers by John Pessah. Um, these are two books slightly different in intent. The Grind um, follows uh, A Season of the Washington Nationals the game is more about the, um, the business of baseball, or I should say Major League Baseball, uh, as it is today. And the two are connected in a way because um, the grind, which is about the uh, um, uh, uh, 2014 season of the, of the Washington Nationals, um, in some ways uh, shows inadvertently how uh, the baseball season as it is in the early 21st century, is not quite the grind that it could have been said to be. Uh, certainly in the 19th, and for much of the 20th century, um, the lifestyle of um, major league players is very different, and of course the income is uh, is very uh, um, very different. Uh, the um, this gives Michael Nelson an opportunity to to write about. Um, baseball as we know it with um, considerable uh, um, shall we say wit and insight Um, and there's one um, paragraph that I think sort of summarizes the difference between baseball then and now involving a player still living although of course long since retired from baseball the author implies that because baseball schedules twice as many games as hockey and basketball basketball, that it's twice as hard on the players, really? Don't try playing hockey or basketball after lunch. He also suggests that working out with a trainer during the winter is part of the ordeal, even as he's honest enough to note that until recently, players had to spend the off-season laboring, quote, in mines and on ranches. Yogi Berra worked at a Sears Roebuck just to keep food on the table. Anyway, puts things a little bit in perspective. That is followed by a review by Cetus Stelzer, of a book by Jonathan Schneer entitled Ministers at War, Winston Churchill and His War Cabinet. Sita Stoltzer is the author of a recent book entitled Dinner with Churchill, Policymaking at the Dinner Table, um, um, a lively historical account of how, how to the extent to which uh, Churchill, both as wartime prime minister and as a politician, got things done, got ideas across, um, advanced his career, um, uh, more or less through his social life, I suppose one might say, but um, a kind of a version of um, of the dinner table conversation. And um, this book um, is about Winston Churchill and his war cabinet, which um, people don't often realize that in 1940, when Churchill became prime minister, um, succeeding Neville Chamberlain, when Germany invaded uh, France and Belgium... Um, The British government became a national government, which is to say that representatives of the two opposition parties in those days, Labour and the Liberals, uh, were invited into the government. And there was a cabinet, which was a mixture of the three parties. But Churchill did something unique. um, Well, not quite unique. There was a war cabinet during the First World War under Lloyd George's leadership. But he then had a a cabinet within the cabinet, a so-called war cabinet, and that's what this book is about. Um, his deputy prime minister, of course, was Clement Attlee. Um, Anthony Eden, who was the foreign minister, foreign secretary during all this time, and, and very much Churchill's number two, uh, at least in the conservative party, was um, uh, prominently in the war cabinet. There were representatives of of the Labour Party, uh, notably Ernest Beaven, who later became uh, foreign secretary in the post-war Attlee government. And then some people who don't quite fit into any category, such as Lord Beaverbrook, the newspaper czar, who was Churchill's friend and um, probably a conservative, I guess, but kind of a kind of a, um, a extra party sort of individual who became best known for his ability to get things done, and so he became Minister of Aircraft Production. But anyway, Cita Stelzer does a very fine job of describing um, what the challenge that the War Cabinet faced in 1940, how, how it met that challenge, but also the dynamics of how Churchill handled the work. We, we often think of Churchill as the dynamic war leader, the statesman on the world stage, but in this case, he was very much a party politician, very much a, a uh, internal Westminster operator, and a more successful one than we tend to think. Uh, Sita Steltzer makes the point that Churchill's um, uh, touch was almost unerring during all this period, um both as a war leader and as a as a political leader a touch which he almost instantly lost when the war ended and and of course as we well know labor won the 1945 election but it's a very nice this is a very interesting essay about a an aspect of the second world war that I don't think is quite so well known in the United States but probably should be that is followed by a splendid essay by George Stauffer on a new Biography of Bela Bartok, um, entitled Bela Bartok, by David Cooper from Yale University Press. Um, Stauffer is the dean of the School of the Arts at, um, at Rutgers University and frequently writes about music, specifically about composers for our pages. And in this case, um, um, Bela Bartok is a... Um, I'm interested in this. I confess, because he's a favorite of mine. But he's also an interesting composer for a number of reasons. He's he's kind of half traditional, half modernist. He was born 1881, died in 1945. He he, uh, I first discovered him because of his um, uh, dynamic use of, of uh, percussion, for example, in symphonic uh, in orchestral pieces. He also was a um, uh, uh, um, a uh, dedicated student of uh, Hungarian uh, folk music, in fact, folk music generally, and along with some other composers of his time, I suppose the closest equivalent in the United States would be Charles Ives, he, he actually incorporated um, uh, I- the indigenous folk music of his country into his formal symphonic works. Um, it's an interesting notion, an interesting life, um, an interesting um, musical philosophy that Bartok had, in which George Stauffer um, describes um, with real skill and interest here. That is followed by an essay by Justin Schubau, who is president of the National Civic Arts Society, about, um, as, you, as you know, um, the void left by the destruction of the World Trade Center has been um, replaced by various architectural projects, one of which is called Two... World Trade Center, um, which is designed by a, a sort of rising Danish architect named Bjarke Ingels, and Justin Schubau um, doesn't think very highly of the design, and he, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but he does it with, with um, particular skill and insight. Um, uh, we like to take some interest here at the standard in what we might call civic architecture, uh, the architecture of monuments and memorials, and and what what government architecture tells us about governments, and obviously the um, the successor structures in the World Trade Center site are, are fall very much into that category. It's a fascinating piece. I had not known about Two World Trade Center, but um, after reading Mr. Shubow's essay, you'll know everything you need to know, and um, I suspect you will share his opinion of it. But uh, as we say, you'll have to read it to find out. John Podhortz's, um film review this week is of a movie called Ricky and the Flash, directed by Jonathan Demme, which um, uh, I guess I can describe it in one sentence as saying it's Meryl Streep as a, a aging rock and roller. Um, I subhead I, I, The title of the piece is The AARP Rocker, which I stole from John's piece. Um, the subhead is breathing new life into a very old story, which I think uh, to some degree summarizes the the movie itself. But as always, John's discussion of the movie, the genre, Meryl Streep herself, um, is um, well worth the price of admission, and I know you'll enjoy it. Um, And that is the Books and Arts section of the Weekly Standard for the September 21st issue. I thank you very much for joining me for these few moments, and I look forward to talking to you about the Books and Arts section next week.